Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Back to the Future Church. Beautiful theme. What, what can we learn uh, from the ancient church that will empower and, and guide us for today? You know, and, and, and maybe at first it, it might seem like that's, that's a difficult question to answer because things are so much different in our world today. Back, back then, back in the days of Jesus, do you know how many people were in the world? About 200 million people. That's less than the population of our country. Today in the world, the last time I looked, there's 6.8 billion people. That's, that's a number I can't even begin to imagine. And, and they say that by 2012, October 2012, there'll be 7 billion people. Back then... Uh, if if you wanted to uh, travel from one place to another, as the Apostle Paul did, your options were pretty limited, right? You could go by ship, and Paul did that sometimes, or you could go by animal, you know, uh, ride a, a camel or ride a, a horse, or you or you could go by foot, and that's the way most people traveled. Today, by comparison, you know, we've got planes, trains, and automobiles. Do you realize that in the month of, of, uh, on world mission trips, in the month of May this past year, I traveled 35,000 miles in one month. I would guess that that's probably more miles than the Apostle Paul traveled in his entire lifetime. And, and what about communication? You know, if, if in Paul's day you wanted to, to communicate with somebody... You either had to do it in person, or maybe you could send an ambassador. You could send somebody else. As the early uh, apostles often did, they would send letters with somebody else to the churches. But today, most of us carry a cell phone on our hip. We can pick up that cell phone, and in a matter of moments, we can talk to somebody on the other side of the world. I've thought to myself, if you could take the Apostle Paul and put him in 21st century America, it would be shock and awe at what he sees. And yet, having said that, I would would say at the very same time that after he would get over and look past all the modern inventions and the conveniences, the gadgets that we carry around and the appliances that we have, he would see a world very similar to his own. He would see people like the people of his day who maybe talked a lot about religion, who had a spirituality, but who in their heart of hearts did not know who the true God is or what he had done for them. He would see what we see, how how people have what he called an empty way of life handed down to them from their forefathers. He would see what we see, people with no real direction, no real purpose to life. At the bottom line, set aside all the modern conveniences, and and Paul would see people who still are sinners. And what, what Paul would see would really touch his heart, because Paul knew Jesus. 
And he knew that when Jesus came into the world, when he lived and he died, he didn't just live and die for the people of, of his day. He lived and died for people all over the world of all time. Paul would see people who needed Jesus still as their only Savior, their only Savior. And I believe that, that the Apostle Paul, if we could put him in our midst today, he would say the same thing he said to those Christians living in Rome. I'm reading from Romans chapter 10, beginning with the 12th verse. Paul writes, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then I believe that Paul would challenge us in the same way he challenged those Christians in Rome. He would say, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'd like to start by zeroing in on that last phrase, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I don't think that most of us think of our feet as something particularly beautiful, right? We try to cover them up with socks and shoes. Uh, I think of feet as smelly, right? And, and, yet, and yet there are ways that, that feet are, are beautiful. Your feet can really show excitement, can't they? If you don't think that's true, watch kids walking to school. At, at our, our church in Redeemer, we have a school, and we have a long corridor, a breezeway, where all the students walk by in the morning. And you watch those little kids, and they're running. They're ahead of their parents. They're so excited about getting to school. They can't wait. Then you watch the older ones, you know, the 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, and their feet are dragging. You know, they didn't get up early enough. They don't have their homework done. They're not ready for the day. They've had enough of this school thing, right? Beautiful feet are feet that are excited, excited for what they're going to do. And feet can be beautiful in, in another sense, too. Feet can be beautiful when they carry a person with a wonderful message to us. I, I just imagine if you were on death row sitting in a, in a cell and you're about to be let out to be executed and all of a sudden you hear walking down the hall the feet of somebody and you know, you know that person's coming with a last minute pardon and you're going to be free. Or, or imagine if you're, you're sitting in a, in a room and the doctor has just operated on your spouse and you hear, hear the, the feet coming down to the hall, down the hallway to your room, and the doctor brings a message that the biopsy was negative. In that sense, feet can be beautiful, right? And in that sense, the feet of those first Christians were so beautiful. See, without the benefit of planes, trains, and automobiles, their feet moved them from house to house from Jerusalem to Judea, from Judea to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, carrying the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were excited to do that. And, and if we're going to 
follow in their steps. If we're going to get serious about this work of sharing the gospel, then like those early Christians, we need to jump feet first into the work of sharing the message of Jesus with others. And you know what Paul does for us here with these questions that he asks? He leads us to certain conclusions, certain assumptions that will guide us in the work of sharing Jesus with others. So let's just take them one by one, okay? Let's look at the first question. Paul asks, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? The assumption, the conclusion that we ought to reach when we read that question is, how how can people trust in the Savior if they don't know who he is? How can people trust in the Savior if they don't know who he is? I'd like to tell you about a man named Dan. Dan is in his 50s. He's a real nice guy. He's a good neighbor. Dan's an engineer. And, and, you know, every day he gets up at the crack of dawn and he goes off to work at, at Raytheon. If you talk to Dan, he has no problem telling you that he believes in God. He readily admits that. But Dan does not have what you and I would call saving faith in Jesus. That became apparent in the last few years when, when Dan had a couple of things happen that really shook his world. And one of them was his wife went through what I guess we would call a real messy divorce. Just, just about every day, his, his, excuse me, his daughter, his, just about every day his daughter's car was in their driveway and she would be in the house uh, crying in the arms of her mom and dad about what was going on in her life. And then within the last year, Dan's mother was diagnosed with cancer. And she had to undergo very, very painful radiation and chemotherapy treatments. I say Dan doesn't really have saving faith because in the midst of these crises which shook his world, Dan didn't know where to turn. He didn't trust God enough to turn to him. He may have believed that that God has a lot of power, but he didn't know that, that God loved him enough to use his power on his behalf. He didn't know God loved him enough to send his son to be his savior. You think that Dan is unique? I don't. Every once in a while, I, I look on the Internet, and the statistics don't change a whole lot. The statistics say that in our country, 96% of the people who live here believe in God. That's saying that, that only 4% of our population is what we would call atheistic. They deny that, that God exists, or maybe agnostic where they say, I'm kind of a fence ladder, I'm not sure whether he really exists or not. By the way, I, I personally believe that the percentage of true atheists is smaller than that. But even if you put it at 4, 4%, does that mean that 96% of our population here in this country is Christian? I don't think so. I think that it really simply means that most of the people like Dan believe that God exists. That's what they mean when they say, I believe in God. They believe God exists. 
but they don't know who that God is. They don't know that God well enough to know that he loves them. They don't know that God well enough to know that he's their savior. Let let me put this all in maybe a little bit more concrete terms. Around us, in the subdivisions and the homes that surround ours, every night there are children who go to bed and they don't have the confidence or the comfort that your children have or maybe your grandchildren, that my grandchildren have, the comfort and the confidence to be able to say, I am Jesus' little lamb. Every day in the homes around us, in the communities in which we live, people get up to face life. To face life eking out a living. To face life filled with all the complexities and problems that overwhelm people. But they get up to face life without knowing that there's a Savior with his arms outstretched who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And and all around us, in our country, in our world, are people that are actually inconsolable, inconsolable, because they've lost a child, or a spouse, or a parent, And they don't know that Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. If we're going to get serious about sharing Jesus with other people, if we're going to jump feet first into this work of evangelism, then we need to remember that people aren't going to trust Jesus if they don't know who he is. That brings us to the second question Paul raises. He says, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? The the second assumption is that people are not going to know about Jesus unless they hear the gospel, right? People are not going to know about Jesus, not going to know the Savior, unless they hear the gospel. I mentioned before that that I served as a vicar here four decades ago. I'll never forget during the course of that year, there was a man who asked me a question. He said, I've got a friend who's dying in Good Samaritan Hospital. If I pray that that man will come to faith in Jesus, will I see him in heaven? How would you answer that question? I I know somebody's dying. If I pray that person will come to faith in Jesus, will I see him in heaven? My answer to that man was to say, you know, it's a wonderful thing that you're praying that he comes to faith in Jesus. And and I'm going to join you in praying for that. But I said, I want to remind you of something that Paul says in in the 10th chapter of Romans, the same chapter we're looking at. He says, faith comes from hearing, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. 
It's a wonderful thing that you're praying for somebody to come to faith in Jesus. But remember, not only does God want them to come to faith, but God tells us he wants them to hear the message of Jesus because that's what he uses to bring people to faith. I I said before that there are 6.8 billion people in this world. That's just mind-boggling to me. Just imagine if we had the opportunity to look every one of those people in the face, to see them eyeball to eyeball. If you had that opportunity, I don't care if you were in Africa or Australia, in China or India, in Latin America or Europe, no matter where you were, you would never, you would never find one single person that you could look at for whom Jesus didn't come into this world, live and die for for whom he didn't shed his blood, for whom he didn't earn salvation. But that truth will not do anybody any good unless they hear it. I sometimes wonder if living in America, in the United States, we don't just kind of assume, people all know about Jesus Christ. You know, It's a lot different here from places like India or China. I've been to those places, or Indonesia. You look in vain in those places for a cross. You know, how many crosses, how many churches did you pass on your way here today? How many crosses did you see on top of of steeples? How many people don't you see in the stores who wear a cross around their neck or maybe on their bracelet or have one in their homes? And, and what about this book here? You know, we can go into any bookstore and find Bibles. And I, I don't think I've ever stayed in a motel room in the United States that didn't have a Bible in a drawer somewhere. And, and that, that can lead us to maybe think that, that people all around us know about Jesus. But if we start to think that way, we're mistaken. Increasingly, our society today, our world today, is more like the world of the first century, where people don't know about Jesus and who he is and what he's done. You know that twice, twice in the last uh, two weeks, I had preschool parents sitting in my study questioning why we talk so much about Jesus dying on a cross. And, and even if people know about Jesus, the more you talk to them, so often you find out it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not a Jesus who came into this world to live and to die as our substitute. It's not understanding why he had to come in to live and die as our substitute. Again, if if we're going to get serious about sharing the gospel and jump feet first into the work of evangelism, we need to remember that people are are not going to know the Savior unless they hear the gospel. Listen to Paul's third question. And how how can they hear, he says, without someone preaching to them? I'm going to give you the assumption here, the conclusion here, and that is that God uses his people 
to preach to others? I, I love this question that Paul asks. You know why? Because it gives me an opportunity to talk about preaching. See, I believe, and I'm going to tell you that I think preachers are at fault. I believe preaching has a bad rap in our society. What do you think of when you hear preaching, right? Isn't it so often a negative thing, a scolding, a nagging? Remember that line from Madonna's song, Papa, don't preach, right? Do you know a colloquial dictionary defines a sermon as a long, boring harangue? That's so sad. Because the word preach in its original meaning doesn't mean anything close to that. In its original meaning, the word preach means to announce the good news. It conveys the picture of of running into a room or running into the town square and saying, the battle's over. We won. The victory's accomplished. It's ours. That's preaching. You don't have to be afraid anymore. That's preaching for Christians. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Jesus has paid for your sins. Jesus has defeated sin and death and the devil. The victory is ours. He did it for us. And you know, when you understand preaching in that context or with that meaning, you also realize you don't have to have an ordination certificate somewhere on a wall that says you can be a preacher. Preaching is something that the Lord gives all of us to do. It's what you do as a parent when you take your little child in your arms on your lap and say, don't worry, Jesus loves you. He's forgiven you. Everything's going to be okay. Preaching is what you do when you, when you tell your troubled classmates, hey, don't get so stressed about this. Because of Jesus, we know that we've got a heavenly Father to whom we can turn in prayer now, and he's going to help us. Preaching is is what you do when you stand beside the bed of your dying mom or your dying dad. And you say, hey, mom, hey, dad, don't be afraid. Remember what Jesus has done for us? He's conquered death. We know that when you you leave this world, you're going to be immediately in heaven with Jesus, and we know there's going to be a reunion, and we're going to see you again. What what a beautiful thing to realize that when we jump feet first into the gospel, God uses us, his people, to preach to others. Now let's look at that last question of the Apostle Paul. And how can they preach unless they are sent? When you hear that question, I want you to remember that our Savior has both motivated and sent his people into this world. I'm going to tell you a story. It's a legend, and it's only a legend, but it's really to the point. The legend goes that on the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, The angel Gabriel saw him and and really right away noticed the scars in his hands and his feet and the, the, the scar in his side. And Gabriel said, Master, 
you really suffered for the people of that world, didn't you? Yes, yes, Jesus said. And then Gabriel asked the question, Master, do, do the people, do the human beings on earth, do they all know how much you love them? Do they all know what you've done for them? Do they all know about the salvation that you have earned for them? Jesus said, no, Gabriel, not all. But a few of them do, the ones I left behind. A master, Gabriel said. How, how are the people of the world going to hear about how much you love them? How are they going to hear that they've got a Savior who paid for their sins? How are they going to hear about the salvation you have accomplished for them? Jesus said, well, I've told Peter, James, John, and the others, and they're going to tell others. And those others are going to tell still others. And they're going to tell others, and they're going to pass it down to the next generation and the next generation until the gospel goes into the farthest corner of the world and all have heard it. And at that, Gabriel kind of furled his brow. He says, Master, I know the stuff, the frail stuff that human beings are made of. What if Peter, James, and John get tired? What if the others, they tell, forget to tell still others? What if way down to the 21st century, people are no longer interested in telling others about your salvation and what you've done for them? Do you have another plan? To which Jesus replied, No, I have no other plan. I'm counting on them. Just a story. But it's a story that reminds us that when Jesus stood on the Mount of Ascension, and when he said these words, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he wasn't just talking to Peter, James, John, and those who were assembled there. He was saying those words, giving that great commission to his whole church and his church of every age. He was giving that great commission to you and to me. He was sending us into a dying world with his message. And he certainly has given us the motivation to carry it, hasn't he? Just think about what you and I know. We know that, that we have a Savior who's taken care of our sins, all of our sins, past, present, and future, the ones that other people know, the ones that other people don't know, the ones that keep us awake at night, the ones we've forgotten about. All of them are forgiven freely, fully given and forgotten. And we know too that as we go through life and face all the difficulties, and there's a lot of them, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, the Bible says. We know that as we go through life, no matter what difficulties we face, we've got a Savior God who's by our side, who will either deliver us from that or work with his power and his wisdom and his love and turn it together for our good. And we know, too, 
that when, when our last hour comes and we leave this world, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid because immediately our Lord will take us from this life to himself in heaven. Remember those beautiful feet that Paul talked about? When we understand what Jesus has done, we realize that those feet can be our feet. Motivated by his love, our feet can carry us to other people to tell them what a wonderful Savior Jesus is. And we pray that God will continue to motivate every one of us to do just that, and he will. Amen. In your notes, you'll see my next steps in the crosswalk. Let me just encourage you in these things. First of all, pray daily that the Lord will help me to remember how much the lost need his message. Stop and think of the lostness of the lost to face life and to face death without a Savior. Pray that God helps us to remember that. Second, pray daily that the Lord will help me to remember the motivation he's given me to share his message. You know, nobody's standing up before you today and nobody ever should stand up before you and guilt you into sharing the message of Jesus Christ. We look at that cross. We know what it means. We've got all the motivation in the world. God help us to remember it. And then finally, pray daily that the Lord will help me to jump feet first into the work of sharing his message. Let's not just talk the talk, people. Motivated by our Savior's love, let's walk the walk. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com. 